You know, if, if you're like me, you were hoping to be able to see all of the moms, right, and all the ladies that are special, but you have time after, so when we're done, uh, you'll be able to, um, to just greet those moms in your life that uh, you didn't get to see again, those, uh, those ladies that you know are moms, and honor them, and the spiritual moms, and I even know, of course, like myself, there's some of us who uh, have lost our moms, and today can be a difficult day, and we remember them, but today's a day to celebrate them, even if they're no longer with us physically. If you remember from last week, the great hope that we have, that we will in some way uh, be able to be reconnected with our, our loved ones uh, in heaven when the Lord Jesus returns. And so we don't know what that's going to look like exactly, but I guarantee you 100% that we're going to love it and it's going to be so much better than whatever it looks like here. And so um, that's also a hope that we have for today on a special day of Mother's Day. Um, so let's dive right back into God's word and, and there'll be a, there'll be certainly ways to connect the, the uh, passage today to the fact that we're celebrating moms and, um, how we remember life we have because of them. And then of course, uh, they are called to nurture their children like God does with us, we being his children. Um, but what a wonderful opportunity to do that as sort of our context for today. So in our study of the gospel of Mark, we are sort of coming to another pivotal point. It's a sort of a, um, a, a cornerstone in the whole uh, message of Mark as he recounts the story of Jesus, his life and his teachings, his miracles, his healings. And so we call this, um, you know, we call this the way of Jesus for a reason. Because you remember, Mark is just leading us all the way to the cross and the resurrection. And so we're getting there very quickly because in our passage today, I believe we're in Wednesday, at least it's Wednesday of uh, Passion Week, the week between uh, his triumphal entry and then, of course, the crucifixion and the resurrection. And um, Jesus has been uh, tested and tried by all the religious leaders. They tried many different ways. Even last week, we looked at how they tried to sort of butter him up and and to give him this you know false praise and encouragement. But Today sort of ends that whole thing. We're going to see it in our passage in Mark 12. It's verses 28 to 37, where Jesus confronts a a scribe, another religious leader, who asks him a very simple but important question. And so I think it'll be easy for you to see after we read it where we're going to land today and what our focus will be on. But uh, I want to read it. But, uh, you know, our sort of our theme for today is this idea of priorities. Now, we all set priorities in our life, right? Every day, we, we have priorities, and we might set out a list of priorities for the week or the month or even a year, and we project we might have a, a one-year goal or five-year goals. Maybe it's for business, or it's for family, or it's, it's in your relationship, you know, whatever that might look like. We all do set priorities, right? It's an important part of life, and it's, it's part of how we function. I think we've all learned, probably the hard way, the necessity of setting priorities. And you know what? Uh, one of my, my, my favorite comedians just tells this joke about how he went to have a Pop-Tart one day, and he went to read the directions just out of curiosity. And of course, you don't think you need to read directions for a Pop-Tart, right? So he read the back and it said, step one, open the package. And we kind of take that for granted, right? Often we take the first step, the first step as um, we take it for granted, but it's the most important step because you certainly don't want to go and toast a Pop-Tart before you open the package. Bad things will happen, right? And so it sounds silly, but don't we kind of do that in our lives where we take things for granted and we don't set a priority, right? Because we all have different priorities. You know, there's a the story of, of this group of guys, they went to the Super Bowl recently. And we know if, you know, if you're a football fan, or even if you're just sort of, you know, an American, you all sort of know what, uh, you know, what the Super Bowl is. And some people say it should be a holiday, right? Because it's such a big day in our country. We have the Super Bowl, and it's a, the, the last two teams in the NFL, and they, they play for all the marbles, right? And so there was a group of guys who had saved all, you know, all year long, and they, and they got their tickets, and these tickets go for thousands of dollars, right? And so they went and they got their seats. There was a group of five of them, and they were so excited. They noticed before the game that there was a seat next to them that was empty, and then there was a woman there, a middle-aged woman, and she was there by herself, and there was an empty seat. And, 
you know, that's pretty strange for something like the Super Bowl because, you know, they sell out ahead of time. And again, they're, you know, the tickets are so expensive and hard to get. It's such a big deal. And so one of the guys just kind of looked and felt bad for her and said, excuse me, like, um, I noticed there, there's an empty seat here. And she says, yeah, you know, my husband was supposed to come with me, but he, he passed away. And he said, I feel so bad. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. And she said, thank you. And, and then he thought and he said, you know, but I was really just curious like, like not even a, a brother or a sister or a friend or relative would want to take this ticket because it's worth so much money and you still had to come by yourself. And she said, yeah. And, and he said, none of them would come with you. And she said, no, they all insisted on going to the funeral. Okay. So there you go. A little off-color humor, but... You know what I love? I love when I tell those kinds of, of jokes... What I, what I just look forward to is just that initial moment of reaction because you're following along and there's that quick, wait, what? Oh my God. It's so good. But we all have different priorities, right? I mean, for myself, I have a checklist. Maybe some of you do this, but I have a checklist that I've created and you update it over time, but it's a, a checklist I use for the week. And so there's things in there. Uh, about worship, our worship planning, and and, uh, and of course in the sermon preparation, different things that I want to read, and just administrative things to get done, certain emails that you know you send every week, those kinds of things that you do on a regular basis. And then of course there's a miscellaneous section that you fill in, things that come up that maybe aren't there for every week. But it's important, I find it important, because even the things that you do regularly, you can forget, right, what happens. And so I have a checklist. And I find it really helps me, even when I go away, whether it's a vacation or a trip or a conference for church or whatever, I always make a checklist and it has three categories, to do and to buy and to bring, to make sure that I got all my bases covered, you know? So checklists are important to me. But for me, you know, when I start the work week and and I, I know I have this checklist, the very first and most important thing is that I actually look at the checklist. You see what I mean? I can have the greatest, most detailed and organized checklist ever that will make sure I never forget anything. But if I don't actually look at the checklist at the beginning of the week, and then throughout the week that checklist is just a piece of paper with ink on it. You see what I mean? So even though it seems obvious that we're going to create something like a checklist... Or if we're going to do something like toast some Pop-Tarts, maybe the first thing we need to do is open the package. Or the first thing we need to do is look at that checklist or else it's really worthless and it's not going to do any good to anybody. And so today, sort of the context for what we're looking at in our passage is priorities. So would you just sort of think, as I read it now, uh, and as I just sort of highlight a few things that Jesus, I believe, is trying to teach us in our so what moment. Like, so what does this all mean to me today as a Christian on May 12th, on Mother's Day, on this rainy Sunday, 2019? What does this mean for me? Just keep it in the context personally of your priorities in life. How do you set priorities? Do you even do that? What things are most important to you? And and here's the challenge. Should they be? Be honest with yourself before God. You can't hide anything from Him, of course. And be honest. Say, what are those things that you make a priority in your life? How do you even know it's a priority? Usually it's because you spend a lot of time doing it or thinking about it or preparing for it. But what are your priorities in life? And are your priorities in order? And are you doing the first thing first, the most important thing first? You know, uh, at, at uh, another church where we used to go many years ago, there was a uh, there was a, a deacon in the church, and he was the one in charge of getting to, uh, together all the budgets for all the different ministries and the leaders. And so he would always come into my office and ask me this one question that he would ask every ministry leader. And he would say, you know, we're about to put together the budget for this year. What are your big rocks? And I remember the first time he asked me that, I didn't know what he meant. And I said, what are you talking about? So he sat down, and he, and he just loved this analogy because it worked so well for him, especially dealing with the budget and the church finances, and he explained to me, he said, you know, if you have a jar, let's say, and you have a bunch of things to put in it, you have some rocks and gravel and you have sand and water and all kinds of things, what are you going to put in first? Now, it 
it makes a difference what goes in first. Because if you can picture it, if you put in the water first, you fill up the water, is there going to be really any room left for the sand, the gravel, and the big rocks? If you put the gravel in first and then the big rocks and the water and the sand, is that going to work? So he said, here's what you do. You put the big rocks in first. You put the big rocks in, you say, is there more room? Yes. You put some gravel in, you let it sink down in between all the big rocks. Is there still room? Yeah, you put some sand in. The sand, even smaller, will filter in all of the empty spaces. Is there still room? Yes. And you can pour some water. Of course, water will get in everywhere. But it's not going to work if you don't put in the big rocks first. See? And that's a good lesson, I think, for our lives, that no matter what it is that we're doing, whether it's financial or it's just your priorities for a particular day, We should at least know what are those big rocks? What are the important things that we are to focus on first so that there is room for everything else? So in our passage today, think about that because Jesus talks about a priority and He mentions the biggest of all rocks for us as His followers. So here's what it says in Mark 12, 28-37. And again, this is the end of this period where he is being tested and tried by all the religious leaders. And what a great exclamation point on that whole series of questions and, uh, and debating and uh, trying to trap Jesus. And he puts an exclamation point on it. And so it says this. <clears throat> and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. So just real context there, it's Jesus and the Herodians, remember that, and the Sadducees and all those. And he had been debating and, and you know, they, they were arguing with him. He wasn't really debating. He was just kind of calling them out. And it says there was this one scribe that came up and heard it. And seeing that Jesus answered them all well, this scribe asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, well, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and there is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love Him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself. That is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And so when Jesus saw that He answered wisely, He said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask Him any more questions. And then continuing it says, So as Jesus went and taught in the temple, He said, How can these scribes say that Christ is the Son of David? David himself, in the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls, David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. So you see, in a way, he's put an exclamation point. We're going to look at that. Because it says, after this, No one dared ask him any more questions, and everybody in the temple there, they were hearing him gladly. And we're going to look at why. Okay, So a little bit of background, and then we're just going to um, highlight four particular things from uh, from what Jesus quotes here, and see how that applies to our lives. So again, the scribes are part of the religious leadership, but here's why it's important to know a little bit about them. Because they were more like the lawyers of the day. They were the ones who were the keepers of the law, not necessarily the ones like the judges who would mete out the law, but they were the ones who knew the law, okay? Uh, and uh, they understood what that meant. And they were kind of working together with all the other religious leaders and uh, to make sure that people were following the laws. And they were the ones, the scribes, who had sort of codified God's law through Moses, the Mosaic law, and said there are 613 laws that we as Jews need to follow And there are many devout and religious Jews today that are still doing that. Seeking to fulfill and live out um, 613 laws. They had uh, a number of them that were positive and some that were negative. 
And sort of in their thinking was this idea, well, God will be happy with us if we just obey more of the good ones, right? And less of the, the bad ones, the negative ones, that we need to make sure that our account looks like this, and then we're pleasing God and we're all good. And so that was their daily mindset, is that we got to keep all of these laws and let's focus on those that will help us get closer to God, and, and that's the way we're going to live our lives. And so it's no wonder that a scribe would come up to Jesus after hearing him um, talk to all these different groups of religious leaders, and he would come up, the one who is all about the law, see, and he would say, Jesus, I hear all these things. You're doing a good job, Jesus. Is that nice of him to tell Jesus that? You're doing pretty good, Jesus. And he says simply this, he says, which of all the commandments is the greatest? Now, of course, Jesus would know he was a scribe. He was kind of hanging out there. He would know uh, also, of course, what their focus is. And everybody listening would know. That makes sense as a question. Because even the scribes themselves, see, the ones who were focused on these 613 laws, they always argued amongst themselves, which is the greatest? We have these laws, and we, we want to we do all of them, but we want to focus the right way. So which is the greatest? And so he comes and he asks Jesus, Jesus, you sound like a pretty good teacher which is the greatest of all these laws? And then Jesus answers him. Now let's take a moment to look at this. You know, you know how each time we've seen throughout our study in, in, in Mark 11 and 12, right, that, that, that Jesus would be asked a question, and what would he do? He would answer with a question because he was getting right to the heart of it. He doesn't do that here. Because he, he sees, and it'll say in a moment, he sees that the guy is close. He says, you're close to the kingdom. He sees that he is actually honest. So he's not really trying to trap Jesus. He's asking him an honest question, albeit misguided. He's asking him a very heartfelt, honest question. Which is the most important commandment? Which is the greatest? And so Jesus doesn't answer him with a question, trying to sort of get him off track. He says, here's the greatest. And he answers him, plain and simple. And here is the commandment. Now, this is a quote from Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 6, we see these words. Jesus quotes it almost verbatim. And, of course, the scribe would know what he's about to say. He would have memorized it. And this is a prayer. And it is called the Shema, S-H-E-M-A, the Shema. And in this Shema, this prayer, are these important words. And here is why this is really important to us today. Because even though, yes, this was for the Jewish people and their faith and their law and um, their relationship with God, this has every application for us today. Because in some ways we can say, he says, hear, O Israel, he's wanting us to hear this truth as well. And so way back in Deuteronomy, these words were, were put forth. And this is the prayer, the Shema. This prayer is still used to this day by devout Jewish uh, believers Every morning and every evening, they say this prayer. And they've added things to it, but this is the crux of it. It is, in a way, the most important thing that they say and do all day. It has sort of been likened to the John 3.16 for Christians. The one we all sort of know and memorize and see all the time. This is that for them, in a way. And so Jesus quotes it. And He says, here's the most important commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your mind, and your strength. And then Jesus says the second. Now, he didn't ask him the top two. He said, what's the greatest? But then Jesus adds, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, there's nothing else greater than these. Elsewhere, he says, all the law and the prophets, which basically means everything else that you would know, all the teachings of the Scriptures can be wrapped up in this. And let's simplify it this way. Love God and love others. But he does say something specific, doesn't he? He says to love the Lord your God, but then he says how to do it. See, that's where our so what comes in. That's what we're going to focus on. How do we love God? It sounds like such a big thing to say, doesn't it? How do we love God? I mean, God not only loves us, He is love. How do we love a God who actually is love? What does that look like? 
And so the Shema, this important prayer that Jesus then quotes, is that this is the greatest thing, that the thing you should focus on most is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Then he says, and then love your neighbor as yourself. This, there's nothing greater than these two. And so then just kind of filling in the context before we focus on that, um, the scribe then is kind of funny, verse 32, the scribe said, hey, you're right. Like, you got it right. Ding, ding, ding. You got it right, Jesus. And you have truly said, like meaning what you said is true. He is one. There is no one besides Him. Right? He knew what that meant, the Shema prayer. And to love Him with all heart and understanding and strength. To love one neighbor as himself. He, the scribe even says, yeah, all of that is, is worth more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is a scribe saying that. And so Jesus says, when He heard that He answered wisely... You are not far from the kingdom. Then no one dared ask him a question again. And then finally, again, I'm going to tie this in at the end. But Jesus himself, without being prompted, that's important, he goes into the temple and he asks this sort of complex question. He says, how can these scribes, the one that just asked him a question, how can they say that Christ is the son of David? Remember, the Jewish people were looking for the Messiah, who they knew would come from the line of David, David the king. Right? So Messiah would come and be king and sit on David's throne. And Jesus says, how can they say this? It's like an open-ended question. How can they say that Christ is the son of David? Because David himself declared these words. This is from Psalm 110. So you're going to write that in your notes, in your, your study Bibles. It should say that. So Jesus then quotes another Old Testament scripture, Psalm 110, a psalm of David, where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So David calls himself Lord, Jesus says. Now how is he his son? And they all heard him gladly. So what Jesus is talking about is his deity there. That he is the promised Messiah. You remember when all this is happening? Like a day before he is betrayed. A day before the Last Supper. A day before he is betrayed and goes to the cross. Jesus, and this is important church, that Jesus is proclaiming his deity, that he is God, that he is the promised Messiah, that he is the one that the scribes wrote about and tell everybody we're waiting for this Messiah. He is the one. So when Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy 6 in the Shema, he says, the greatest commandment is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It means that he is one and the only one. See, even going back to when Moses was giving those words, if you look in the context of that Deuteronomy chapter, Moses was saying, don't follow any false gods. There's going to be pagan gods out there. Be careful and beware. Because your God is the only true God. And He's the one God. That's what He's saying. And that's what that whole thing means. So when the Jewish people pray that morning and night, they're reminding themselves and others and their families saying, we serve the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. None of these other pagan gods. But what does that mean for us? See, all of the gods that we create in our lives, whatever that looks like, whatever you put as a priority before the one true God becomes a God that you have set before Him. And so we are called to love this one true God. And then Jesus goes on to even say, and and Mark, of course, has a reason for including that right here, that Jesus went to the temple and said, how could this be? Because basically, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but in that Psalm 110, it says, the Lord said to my Lord, you know what that means? It's God and the Messiah. The Lord, meaning God, said to my Lord, Messiah. Okay, so David is basically saying the coming Messiah is going to be my Lord. Even though he's of my lineage, the son of David, and going to sit on my throne, he is still my God. And Jewish people would have sort of tripped over that. How can that be? But Jesus is basically saying, I'm the one. Believe in my deity. Okay, it's an important part of the context. So, How do we love God? That's the big question for today. How do we make that a priority? It's really easy to say, isn't it? Love God and love others. Okay, great. Now we can pray and go home. But how do we do that? What does that look like? Should we be trying harder to do that? How do we do we make a checklist? I loved God today by doing this and I did this and this and this. What is that? How does that play out in the life of a, a Christian every day? So let's look at the four things that he mentions and that are mentioned as most important. 
loving God by doing these things. By loving God in four ways. With all of your mind, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. So look at those four things, okay? Um, and here's, it's important too, there's really no special order. There's no special order given in this Shema prayer that we should first love God uh, with our you know, heart and then it's soul, and then it's mind and strength. The idea here is this. If you put them all together and you hear it, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, it means everything. We kind of use idioms like that in today's language, like love God with everything that you are, or do something with you know your whole self, put your whole self, you all in. You know, we say that in many ways. That's what this means. There's different elements we want to look at them, but but there's no particular order. We don't start with one and the other. But the idea is that all together it represents that it is our whole being loving the one true God. That's most important. Okay. So, again, not taking them in the order that they were written because that's really not that important, but we want to make sure we, we look at each one. So, how do we love God with our mind? So, if he says, love the Lord your God with all of your mind, among the others, what does that look like? How do you love God with your mind? Do you love people with your mind? I mean, how does Scripture sort of unfold that? And what does that mean for us? I mean, when we say, when it says to love the Lord your God with all your mind, it has to be talking about what happens in our minds. What do we do with our minds? We think, right? We process information. We all do that differently. But we all sort of take in information that we have and we process it. You know, I remember way back when I was a kid, I'm dating myself now, but I remember going to computer class in school and we would have these big computers and yes, we would use these old things called punch cards, and they would have these little these little things, and some of you are just like, what what is he talking about? And others of you are just like, yeah, I remember that. And you had these punch cards that had information. I forget all how it worked, but the computer could only read like what was on this punch card. It would take it and process the information. And then, of course, we see where we are today. I mean, supposedly, like on our phones, we have so much more capacity to information than the original huge computers, right? But what were the computers, at least originally, basically a processor, they would take information in and process it, right? And then sort of spit it out. Now we're talking about computers understanding and learning and artificial intelligence and all that fun stuff. But when we love God with our mind, we're saying, what's the truth? Because we're all searching for truth in some way. How do we process it? And how does it then change us? So we take the facts about who God is... The facts about Jesus and what He says He's going to do and what He did, did He really do that? The facts about who He says He is and we take it in and we receive it and process it mentally. That's a really important part of how we grow to love God. And you'll see how it all comes together. But our minds process information. So what are the facts and how do we get them? The facts, as Jesus claims, is that He is God. He claimed to be God. Not just a good teacher, but God Himself. And so we look at all together, we won't look at all of them, but we look at what Jesus taught about Himself, about God. We look at all of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the whole counsel of God, we put it all together. Those are the facts, the truth. And then mentally, in our minds, we are to understand it. How do we understand it? We read it. We meditate on it. We research it. We observe it all do that with our minds you see that's a part of what he's saying love god with your mind take the truth of what god says about himself and what jesus says about himself in the very word of god and process it okay so that's one of not a step but one of the aspects of loving god we love god with our mind so we read god's word we have to study to understand you know we i said earlier we have these words that are important to us as part of our core values it starts with learning we learn we grow we serve now those have a particular order it starts with learning we have to first know the facts before we make a decision right don't you do that somebody asks you to say yes or no you want to do this or not well wait what are the facts here what do i need to know you want to go buy a new car well you do some research first don't you do some reading 
well, what does this car compare to this one? And how does this look? And what are the features and what are the options? And what is this salesman going to try to sell to me that I don't need? And all of that. You do some research and you think, right? And you read. And it's sort of that same way that we love God. We come to learn to love God with our mind by learning. And how do we learn? We read God's Word. We read God's Word. There's many different ways to learn about God, but we first and foremost, we have to read His Word or else we won't know Him. So, that's one important aspect. We love God from our mind. We can't leave that out. Because then if we talk about the heart, He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart as well. We can't just do it with heart. Because the mind has to be a big part of it. Because the heart necessarily doesn't process truth. I mean, yes, we understand, especially the ancients when they were writing this, they understood the heart to be the center of all of the human personhood. It is the heart, right? Before they even understood all that we know about the mind, everything flowed from the heart. But we understand, in a physical sense, all the blood flows right through the heart, and the heart pumps it out. So in a way, it is giving life to all the rest of our physical bodies. But he says, love the Lord your God, yes, with all your mind, right? We're learning the truth about who he is. We know where to get it. It's something we have to do all the time. We keep learning. But then with all of our heart, why? Because the heart also brings into it the emotions. And the emotions, yes, are very important. Sometimes we can downplay or even dismiss the emotions. Well, I can't come before God with my emotions because I just have to know Him and understand Him. Yes, that's important. But we don't have one. We don't want to have one without the other. Because, see, in our heart... We, we process things like devotion and our emotions, right? All that goes along with love. We know that love is much more than emotions, but to love God with the heart as well as the mind means that we bring in the emotions. Like when we talk about worshiping God, there's those two aspects we say all the time, right? That we have the, the words that are the truth, but we have the music that does what? It can kind of move us, right? You ever notice how a certain song will put you in a certain mood? And so that's the power of music. So it's like that. We have the mind and the truth of the words, but we also have the heart, the seat of our emotions. And so it's good because it's where our devotion comes from. I mean, even Romans 10.10 says, it is with your heart that you believe in justified. You have the truth. You're learning. But then that truth sinks into your heart and you start to change. You see? You change your mind, your heart changes, and that's where you begin to grow. So the heart, see, is the seat of the growth there. So we're talking about learning and growing, part of our core values at Trinity. We're learning, so we're loving God with our mind, but we're also then growing from the heart, growing to love God from our heart, which also, again, incorporates the emotions and the devotion. So it is from the heart as well. So we are to love God God with all of our mind, with all of our heart together, not one or the other. And there's two more things. He also says the soul. And we need to spend just a minute on this. Can that be a little confusing, right? What does it mean to love God with all of your soul? What even is our soul? Well, it's important to know that biblically speaking, we are called souls. It's been said this way, and I tend to agree. We don't necessarily have a soul. We are a soul. Now, that's sort of a, it, it was used in our language a lot uh, earlier. We don't really use that a lot. We don't talk about people being souls. Sometimes, like in, in, in maritime speech, you hear about maybe a ship going down and how many souls were on board. You ever think about that? That's what it means. The soul being another way to talk about the whole person. But we also understand that Scripture, in some way, and this is a whole theological thing we won't get into, but divides... Soul and spirit. Remember what it says in Hebrews about the Word of God even dividing, right? Soul and spirit. So somehow there's a difference, but of course we know they're connected. For our context today, when he says to love God with all your soul, let's keep it simple for today. The soul is all of the immaterial part of who we are. We have a body and a soul. We've heard that term before, right? Body and soul. We have a physical body. And then we have the spiritual part, like the, the, there's the material and immaterial. That's probably clear, right? We all see our bodies. That's our material part. But there's also important aspect of us being human beings that God created that we cannot see with the eyes, 
it is the immaterial part. That's the soul. Okay? So when he says, love God with all your mind and your heart, your soul, he's saying, with everything, even just outside of your body, meaning like outside of just this physical what you see, love God. Love God with that immaterial part, the soul. The soul is what makes us uniquely human. It's, again, all of that immaterial, immaterial part of us being a person. Now, there are scriptures that seem to, to use spirit and soul interchangeably, but there's others, again, that talk about them being separate. And so there's different sort of schools of thought, like, are we a, a person, is there a dichotomy or trichotomy? Are we made up of three elements, of, of body and soul and spirit, or is it body and soul and a spirit is part of the soul? Well, I can tell you this, I think Scripture makes it clear that our spirit, okay, is what allows us to connect with God, because isn't He spirit? He said, it says that God is spirit. So we are to worship Him in spirit and the truth, says in John 4. And so we connect in our spirit with God, that's what is renewed in us in salvation, but we are a soul, meaning that all together we are a soul. It is that immaterial part. So we want to leave it there for just... For, for just our context and conversation today. But he says, love God with all your mind, all your heart, we're almost done, all your soul, okay, all the immaterial part. And that's still the growth. We're talking about learning and growing, okay? We are to be growing in our soul. Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest. And later on that, in those verses, he says, rest for your soul, even rest for your soul. Doesn't that sound good? Yes, our bodies need rest. We had a, like had a long two days and a long, and we got home late last night and man, we were just, we needed rest for our bodies. You ever just kind of flopped out on the couch of your bed? You're like, man, that is it. And the brother says, amen, right? We need that. But also, we, Jesus says, you need, you might even know it, you need rest for your soul. For that immaterial part. He says, I'll allow you to have time. You have your Sabbath. Take the rest that you need for your aching body. But your soul needs rest. Do you know that? Your soul needs rest. And sometimes you might not know what that is. Or that even that's what you're feeling. But Jesus says, just come to me and bring it to me. Even if you don't know what it looks like. He says, you need rest for your soul. All, everything, everything apart from just your physical body, he says, bring it to me, and I'll give you rest for that. In that contest, he was talking about people like the scribes who are all about keeping the law, and he says, you're free from that. That's going to wear you down trying to keep all 613 laws. So he says, come to me if you're weary and burdened with the law, and I'll set you free. I'll give you rest for your soul. So you can just Rest in me, so you don't have to keep those laws anymore. Isn't that beautiful? That's what he means by that, rest for your soul. So, we love God with our mind and our heart and our soul, all of that together. And then finally, he says, even with your strength. So again, these are priorities. What are the priorities of our mind that we're learning God's Word as a priority? The priority of our heart is that we recognize God created emotions and we connect with Him through the Spirit because He is Spirit. But also then through our soul. Why? What's our focus there? It's everything that is eternal. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say this before we, we end with strength. You know, if the soul is everything that's immaterial, we say, well, we know that the Word of God teaches us, as we're learning with our mind, right? The Word of God teaches us that there are two things we know of that are immortal, that are eternal, that will last forever. And what are they? They're God's Word and us. Not our bodies physically, we know they won't, but us as a soul. Okay? So every person, think about it this way, every person in this room, every person you meet on the street throughout the day in your workplace, they are all going to live on eternally. But we know as believers, the question is, where and with whom? Right? But they will all live eternally because we all are souls. And so souls are eternal and God's Word is eternal. And it says in Hebrews that God's Word is the one that divides even spirit and soul. See? The connection there. So what does that mean for us to love God with all of our soul? How about we focus on the things that are eternal? Loving God, His Word, and loving others. 
Because if we're all souls, shouldn't we be about sharing our faith in the Gospel with everybody that we meet? Because everybody that we meet is going to live eternally. And they are a soul. And so therefore, our priority, how do we love God with all of our soul? Well, how about we love other souls and see them as God sees them? To see other people as God sees them. Even the people that frustrate you and even the people that annoy you, I know it's nobody here, so you don't have to look around. Or, or you know, the person next to you, you don't want to do that, especially on Mother's Day. Don't look at your wife and all that. But even those people, right, that we are to love them as God loves them because they are a soul and they will last forever. Their soul will move on. Their, our bodies die and decay, but our soul lives on forever. So let us keep our priorities on the things that last because, boy, can't we put at the top of our checklist our, things that are important every day, things that really are not going to matter in the end, things that won't matter, right? Jesus says, Sermon on the Mount, right? What does he say? Like, you know, don't even worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, because I got that. That's all covered. Don't worry about that. Those, you'll have that all new every day, and it's not going to matter in the end. He goes, just focus on me, right? Seek first the kingdom, and all his righteousness and everything else will be taken care of. How about a priority? Seek first the kingdom. And Jesus says here, how about a priority? Love the Lord your God and love others. So we got loving God with the mind by learning and, and loving God with the heart by growing. And, and of course, loving God with our soul, everything, keeping focus on what's eternal. And finally, he says with strength, that's all of our physical self. Romans 12 talks about offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. We've talked about that many times. Are a living sacrifice. So that means abstaining from anything that is sexually immoral. That means recognizing that God gives us this physical body as a vessel. We are called now the temple of the Holy Spirit living within us. So maybe it's even things like we should watch what we eat and what we put into our bodies. Right? What we're doing with our bodies. Things like what are we looking at? What are we listening to? What are we talking about? What words are we saying to others about others? How about with our hands and our feet? What are we doing for God that lasts eternally? What are we doing for loving God with all of our strength? Where are our feet taking us? And what are we putting our hands to do? Are they things that will last eternally, that will glorify God, or are they things that will just fade away? So we love God with all of our strength. Yes, It's our physical self. It means discipline. It means determination. It means all of our courage. It's about being intentional. Living sacrifices. Our body is a vessel. Be remaining pure in every way. Our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hands, our feet, even our stomach. What are we putting in? All of those things go together. That's how we love God in practical ways. By honoring Him with the bodies He's given us. Body and soul, heart, mind, strength, and soul. And then he says, you are close. He tells that to the scribe. Why? Because he was so close. He had it. He understood. He was, he was so close to the kingdom. Why? Jesus says, you have the understanding. Now just surrender. You have the understanding. You know the truth. You've said that I taught well and you're right. You know the truth. Now let the truth set you free. But he's telling him, man, you're so close. You know people like that in your life? They know the truth of the gospel. And they just haven't yet surrendered and believed in the Lord Jesus as Savior and all that that means. Putting their faith and trust in Him. And then, again, that passage ends, 35, 36, and 37, where Jesus teaches in the temple about His deity. He's using Psalm 110. Look, everybody would have known that at the time. What he's talking about, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. He's saying, look, just think about it, everybody. He's saying, think about it, people here in the temple. You say the Messiah is going to be the son of David, but yet be his Lord. How could that be? And Jesus is saying, look, uh, it's me. I'm him. I'm the Messiah. I'm of the line of David, but I'm also his Lord, just like David said I would be. So how about you listen to that person that you venerate, your father, David, right? And... I am the one. And of course, he's bringing to attention his deity because they are about to put to death and crucify the very Son of God himself. So, 
making uh, making a priority of believing and understanding the deity of Christ such a foundational doctrine of the Christian faith that Jesus is God. He said He was God and He is God. We can look at all kinds of scriptures and all incidents that reflect back on that where Jesus proves that without a shadow of a doubt. But it's important for us to believe that as we learn. To let it then change us and grow us from our heart that He is God. So when He quotes the Shema and says, love the Lord your God, He's saying, love Me. You're about to kill Me, but you're supposed to love Me with all your heart and mind and your soul and your strength. So what? So we are called to learn and grow and serve. Learn, loving God with our mind, growing, loving Him with our heart, serving Him with all of our soul, our being, our hands and our feet, our mouths, our eyes, our ears, our physical being. But we can only do all of that because He first loved us. See, loving God, maybe this is the most important thing we can remember from the whole morning. When He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. We can't do any of it, church, on our own. We can only do it because He loved us first. So this loving God, and this this really gives us freedom. Loving God is simply our response to the fact that He loved us first. It's not about trying harder. i got to try to love God more with my mind today. Yes, it's good to read more. But how about we surrender ourselves to Him? Surrender our hearts. Surrender our will. We're loving God because He first loved us. When we get that, then we're good and we're going to be on the right track. We'll be able to love God better with our mind and our heart and our soul and our bodies. We recognize that our loving God is a response to His loving us first and foremost. Um, can you be, we're going to close with a song, but could you do me a favor? Can you put up the, um, the first two verses to the last song that we sang? Came to my rescue. Um, these words, as and didn't even think of this, but as we were singing the words to this song, it came to my rescue. Um, just really hit me. Didn't even hit me on Wednesday at rehearsal or even um, you know earlier today. But as we're singing it, can you put those up? And that's look. Fall, we sang this before. Do you remember singing it? Okay, remember then the music was moving you hopefully, and and then the words. This is the words we were singing. Falling on my knees in worship, there's a a posture of humility, right? Giving all I am, there it is. It's the Shema, loving God with all that you are. Giving all I am to do what? To seek your face. It's about love. I just want to love you, God. Lord, all I am is yours. That's what we were singing. We know it's not always the truth about us, but that's our desire, isn't it? And what's the next one say? My... My whole life I place in your hands. Not part of me, not just the Sunday morning person, but the person I am when I go to work, the person I am when I'm at the food store talking to the person in front of me, the person I am when I'm at school, the person I am when I'm mowing my lawn and my neighbor wants to talk to me. That annoying neighbor, right? My whole life I place in your hands. The God of mercy humbled. There it is, I bow down again. Humility. In your presence at your throne. And then finally, what's the the, the chorus there? I called, right? I called, you answered, because I called back to Him. So He loves us, we respond to Him, and then He keeps giving. You came to my rescue. I just want to be where you are. I think that's a good way to sum that up. We're to love the Lord our God with everything that we have. Because everything that we are is His anyway. All of our money, all of our time, this body. Everything, our mind, our heart. Our very soul, it's all His. He created it. He created it. He redeemed it. He loves us. He is in the process of continually restoring us as we let Him. How do we let Him? We love Him. With our mind learning the truth. With our heart growing in our faith and trust. Right? And with all of our bodies serving. Taking our hands and our feet and saying, God, what do you want me to do with this? So let's just close now. I mean, I'm going I'm to pray and then we're just going to close with a simple song. And again, let the words mean something to you and allow the music as you hear it to kind of move you to become maybe a little more vulnerable before God. Father, we thank You just for everything. Thank You for being our God and 
for even just freeing us from 613 laws. Freeing us from having to just keep a list, even a checklist of do's and don'ts, but just saying you have set us free. And if we ever put it back on ourselves, you say, just come to me if you're burdened with it. I'll give you rest for your very soul. Thank you for setting us free, God. And our freedom, we know, was free for us, but cost Jesus everything. And so we want to sing of that freedom, and we want to enjoy that freedom, and we want to love you, because you are the God of love who first loved us. And so we respond to that love by saying, God, we love you. We want to love you, give you all of our mind, all of our thoughts, holding them captive, and we want to give you all those things we think about. We want to focus on the truth of your word, let that fill us, and nothing else. Putting those big rocks in first, let it be the word of God today father that would be the big rock that we would put those things in first and everything else would fall and be filtered around it but god that we would also love you with our heart the seed of those wonderful emotions you gave us that we might even be moved to tears or sometimes to stand up and shout and and raise up our hands and sometimes just to bow our heads in complete reverence and all of you but that we would then grow in our trust in you through our, our, our loving you in our hearts and then of course our very soul, that which is eternal. May we love you and give our attention to the things that will last forever like other people. And then God, with our strength, all that we are physically, all of our courage and devotion and attention goes to you. And we know, Father God, then we can love other people, other souls as we do ourselves because you first loved us. So help us to set our priorities straight today and even this week that we would focus on what our priorities are. God, we know the truth is that you are to be the priority. But the reality is we don't always do that. So would you help us? Give us the courage to do that. To remember the beautiful words of that prayer. To hear, O Israel, to hear, O church, the Lord, your God, He is one. We serve the one true God, that is you. May we put all other little gods that we create on our own, may we put them aside and give our full devotion and attention to you, all heart, all mind, our soul and strength. Father God, we can only do it as you lead us and we are obedient and trusting in you. Help us to do those things today and always. In Jesus' name, amen.